Welcome to Church Project. We're glad that you're here today. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we invite you to grab a Bible. If you didn't bring one, there, there's some in the rows, and there's also some over on the lamps next to you. And so if you want to grab one of those or, or hold your hand up if you don't have one. And if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. So welcome. We're glad you're here. And if you've uh, decided to take one of those Bibles home for the last 13 weeks and you have 14 of them, 14 of them at your house, why don't you bring some back? So, <laughs> Guys, it's going to be a wonderful day today. Um, the passage that we're getting in today is such a, a powerful and such a, a real, honest, vulnerable passage. As I was sitting here today and I was able to talk to a few people uh, before before our time here this morning, I'm, I'm sitting up here looking at, at, at these silly little words we have on the screen. Not, not the lyrics we were singing, those are awesome, but, but, but these. Church project, that's, that's what we are. We're a church, a gathering of people. We love God. We love the mission of God. We love doing it together. Love it. We're also a project. No one's got it made. No, no one, none of us can stand up and go, hey, I've got this figured out. If so, we better run away. <laughs> like, we don't have this figured out. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is joyous. Let's just fill it with all sorts of words that we want right there. Like, we're a project. We're, we're trying to figure this out, but we want to do it with people that are, are going to be honest. And so the words that were really gripping me today, I'm like, biblical. Yeah, I, I hope our church is biblical. <laughs> that would be good, right? Um, simple. I think we can, we can take this gospel message and we can confuse it. Like we can put so much intellect into it. We can, we can just make it so confusing when, when quite honestly it's, it's really pretty simple once we open this up and start studying it. But the word that was really grabbing me this morning is this last word, relevant. Um, it, it can mean so many different things, relevant. What, what, what does that mean? Today, you know what I hope it means? And I was praying this just, just a minute ago over all of us. I pray that the message that I believe is so powerful we're about to hear from James actually really means something to you. In your circumstances of your day, from what you've been through this last week and what you will experience this next week, that the Holy Spirit will guide you and teach you some amazing things. But that's only going to happen, church, if we are completely honest. Like, we don't come in here today and put on our Christian face and our Christian smile and our Christian haircut. You like my haircut? Thanks. It's kind of shabby last week. We don't, we don't do that. Like, we can and unfortunately, a lot of times in my life, I have done that. I've come to our gatherings and, hey, how you doing? And, and we do that. But the only way that this message is going to be relevant to our life today is if in the pit of our despair, we surrender to God and we're honest to Him. And, and, and we cry out to Him in honest and vulnerable ways and say, God, listen, I know that your word says I'm an heir. I'm a child of a king as we studied last week, but I just don't believe it. I doubt you. I doubt your goodness. I, I don't know how you're going to move in this situation. Life is so hard. Sometimes I want to quit. I want to give up. Like, when we're honest, that's where God's going to meet us. So, in this place, 
Hey, you already look good. We can all admit that. Raise your hand if you look good. Come on, people. We all look good already. We're already here. We've already said that we're going to sit and listen to this monologue with Aaron Havens. Why don't we be honest with God? And why don't we, while we're going through this message, just really ask God some honest questions. Say, God, if you're real, if you're true, if you're honest, if you're lovely, if you're all this, would you speak to my heart today? So I'm going to pray that over us. God, for our time together, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you reveal yourself to us? May we be honest with you. May the message we hear today be fully relevant to our life now and our life tomorrow morning. Thank you for bringing us here. It's your name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses today. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you have one of the blue Bibles that are, that are on the floor or on the lamps on each side, you can open it up to page 699. And this is the message that we're going to hear today. It's an awesome message. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let me read it and then begin to talk about some stuff. Starts and says this, if, I like the message starts with if, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Isn't this a feel-good message? This is going to be good today. Like, how about, how about that? So here's the context. James is writing in this book right now, and we've been going through the book of James just verse by verse, and the context is this. James has been writing to a bunch of Christians, early early church Christians that right now are starting to experience persecution, and they, they are, some, they're getting persecuted for their faith, and they're getting dispersed, and, and God is really growing the church through this persecution, and so as the church is moving and things are happening in their life, James begins to address the church, and he begins to say, listen, you're followers of Christ, and there's certain ways that, that you should act, and as we looked at this, this video up here a minute ago, faith without works is dead, like the faith that you have in Christ needs to play itself out in our everyday life. Now, James is writing us, and he's writing to Christians, by the way, and he's saying, this is how you live a godly life. And when we hit these two verses right here, here this, this is what he says about reflecting his glory. He goes, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. And, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And as James is writing this, and you can see it in the early verses before this, he's writing to a church that when people would come in, it would be like this morning, when someone would come in that door, we would, we would turn and look to them as Christians, those who have been saved and been given hope and glory. And we would go, you look like you have money, come sit by me. But reverse that. It would be like us turning and seeing someone that come in and they look broken. They just look homeless and hopeless. And it would be like us suddenly going, oh, don't sit by me. And James is writing and saying, listen, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that you have been saved? You have been rescued? You have been forgiven? I have died and given my life, God is saying, I have died and given my life so that you would be redeemed and brought back and you would be loved. And yet you, 
though you've received this message, you will turn and you will judge other people, especially in the body. I talked about last week that this should be the most inclusive place you go all week. And then Brittany made a point, and I'm like, thank you, Brittany. Wherever you go should be the most inclusive place because you represent God everywhere that you go. And so you love people wherever you go. Then that's the context leading up to verse 8 that we find today. So I like how it starts, and I made, I made just a little pause on it. And it started in verse 8 and says, if. Did you catch that? If. And then in verse 9 it says, if again. And then the last word is transgressors. So when we look at these, these are both, if you're into literary kind of format stuff, these are first class conditional sentences. Conditional sentences, if. And the word transgression or transgressors or transgression means this, to step over a known boundary. So it says, if you really fulfill the the law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Conditional sentence. But if, another conditional sentence, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And remember, our definition for transgression is that you step over a known boundary. And so we know our boundaries within the church. And yet it's saying, if you stay in those and you do according to the word of God and your works is matching up with your faith, awesome. But if you know the boundary and then someone walks in and you begin to judge them, you have become transgressors. You know the frame and you've stepped out of it. And James is writing this and and he hits me. He's saying it's a willful act to go against God and his word. Do any of us do this in our life? Like, we know God's word. We know what he's teaching us and what he's showing us and his Holy Spirit, which... Uh, Tiffany, are you guys studying the Holy Spirit right now? Or was that last semester? Last semester? Okay. The women are doing Bible studies, and I'm just behind because I'm not attending. So <laughs> the Holy Spirit's teaching us in each one of our lives. We, it could be the stillness of night, and we could be laying there without the Scripture open. And the Holy Spirit could be teaching us and convicting us and prodding us and loving us and giving us this framework as to how we should live our life so our works lives up with our faith. And if we wake up in the morning and we go, I know, God, you were teaching and showing me. Or we open the scripture and we say, God, I know how you're asking me to live my life. But, and then we step out, we've become transgressors. And James is teaching us and he's saying this. Well, this hits me every day. I don't, I don't know about you, but this hits me every day. It hit me yesterday because I went to the zoo. Great day to go to the zoo. Anyone go to the zoo? Your mom? I didn't see her, but that would have been great. Went, went to the zoo, and I just got to tell you, this place was filled with little transgressors everywhere. <laughs> know the boundaries and willfully step out of them, right? I mean, I heard this all day from all the moms and all the dads. Johnny, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't touch that, you know. Don't eat that. And I'm like, no, let him eat it. Like, <laughs> little transgressors everywhere. And I'm thinking, yes, he's got, like, they know their boundaries. The parents have set their boundaries. But if you've had kids, you've, you've probably experienced this. And uh, I won't say that because you may report me. But, but I, would, I would say this. It's, it's one of those times where you say don't, and they look at you and go, Don't touch that. 
transgressors. I saw it all day yesterday. People who knew their boundaries and they were stepping out of it, but that's my life every day. Like, I know how God is teaching. I know how he's prodding in my life. The Holy Spirit's showing me, but I'm just like, no, I think I might, I might find a way around that one, God. And James is writing us, and he's writing his church, and he's giving us, he's looking us right in the face, and he's saying, listen, church, if, if, don't be transgressors. Remember, you've been forgiven of much. You've been accepted. You've been loved. And that's what I want you to do to the entire body here. Love. Encourage each other. Spur each other on to love and good deeds. And so far in these first seven verses of chapter 2, and you can read back, and if you've come, you, you found this to be true. It, James has been talking about favoritism and discrimination. Saying, don't, don't show favoritism, and at the same time, don't discriminate amongst yourselves. Remember where you've come for, from and who you are. So let's look back at our scripture here, verse 8. It says, if you, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor. Let's stop there. You shall love your neighbor. This, this comes from the Old Testament writing. Leviticus 19.18 is what Jesus is, is, is uh, what uh, James is saying right here. He's referring back to there and he's saying, you know the scripture. And, and Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor. And are you keeping that? And in the writing of Luke... Luke says the same thing over and over and says, love your neighbor. And he's, and he's talking to, to teachers of the law and he's talking to Pharisees and he's talking and he says, love your neighbor. And, and one of the teachers says this, who, how and who is my neighbor? And this is what Luke says. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 10, verse 29. Or if you have one of the blue Bibles, it's on page 599. Just go 100 pages back from where we're at in James. 599, Luke 10, and we'll start in verse 29. Because if this is the royal law, like love your neighbor as yourself, isn't a a good question to ask, who is my neighbor? So here we are in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. So we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in verse 30, he says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, in verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and let me say this, a Samaritan, they were despised because they were half Jews and half pagans. A Samaritan. A Samaritan comes by, and as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is the equivalent of two 
wages, two days of wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone who needs our help. Pretty simple. Our neighbor is anyone who needs our help. Christian, love does not mean that I must like a person, nor agree with everything they say, but that I treat others the way God has treated me. It's not an act of the emotion, but an act of the will. It's a choice to love, to love your neighbor. And when you come across that inconvenient moment, the guy dying on the side of the road, When you come across those, do we act as the priest and the Levite, the holy people of the day, and act like we don't see them? Or do we do like the Samaritan, the despised one, and walk over and give of time, his talents, he gave everything for the Samaritan above and beyond. Who is our neighbor? Like the little transgressors at the zoo. (laughs) Am I just flicking them all day? (laughs) Or am I giving them that front row to see the bear? Like, listen, love your neighbor can take so many forms. When we begin to think, what does it mean to love our neighbor? We have to ask ourselves a lot of questions. And and one of the questions we can ask is, is what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, is it loving and serving this person that I'm around right now? Honestly, when we begin to ask even this kind of question of how to love our neighbor and is it serving this person, it reminds me of Romans 14, 15, and it reads this. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. When we're on this loving journey together and we're ongoing pursuit to discover who Christ is and and how we're to live our life out, church project, right, moving together, at times I look back and at times even now we have to give up some simple things, even even in our own life, and not do some things, stop acting in certain ways. Even though we may have freedom to do so, sometimes our actions can actually be the things that are are not loving to our neighbor. And we need to really be praying. Some have used this verse and some have used this. Other denominations and some people that have taken this and said, you know what, as a Christian you should live a life of an ascetic. An ascetic, someone who disregards all joy and all pleasure in life and says, I will beat my body and I will, and I will serve in the wilderness for God and I will have no pleasure and no joy and that proves I'm a Christian. No, that's not the case. God is saying, are you serving the people you're around? And even sometimes, maybe the things that you might even have freedom in, when you're around that person, maybe you shouldn't partake in those things. It's living a life. That all the time is saying it's not about religion, of keeping myself away from things, but it is about serving others. It's about loving people. Wherever we go, representing Christ. Going to the person on the side of the road, bandaging them up, and walking the extra mile with them. See, religion says no to a lot of things. Don't drink, don't cuss. Don't date women who do, or whatever, however the saying goes. 
You've all been in church. You've all been beat up. You've all, you've all been thr- Bible thumped over the head saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. The God that I read, Christ says yes. He says yes, and he says, for life at large, yes. Like, I love you, I pursue you, and I give you freedom, and I've set healthy boundaries in your life. Yes, to all this, God gives us freedom. So this message that you're hearing today, don't hear me going, don't drink, don't cuss, don't whatever. I'm saying this, pursue God with all of your life. And ask, is this reflecting God's glory in my life? Do I look more like Christ today than I did yesterday? Sometimes it may mean, yes, we're cutting out things in our life because God is convicting us and we want to grow more in love with him. And yes, sometimes that means when we get around other people, we may not be able to do that thing that's okay on our own because we know that it's going to be a stumbling block for a brother or a sister or someone else. God says yes. He gives us freedom. But he also gives us his Holy Spirit. And we ask with our actions, are our actions serving other people? Can we keep going? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor. We paused there, but I think a lot of us need to hear the next couple words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Appropriate self-love in a Christian sense is crucial to appropriately loving others. This, This actually shook me this week. I don't know how many times I've heard this. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't even hear the as yourself part. All I hear is go serve other people, love other people all the time. It's impossible for you to serve and love other people if you don't love yourself. That's big. Church, that's huge. Some of us, we need to sit on just those two words this next week. Appropriate self-love in a Christian sense is crucial to appropriately loving others. Here's what I would say. Stop self-loathing yourself. That's a sin. Stop self-loathing yourself. Stop thinking that you're incapable. You're not. You're, I mean, let's just go down the line. Stop it. It's a sin. God says love others, but you've got to love yourself. That's the only way that you can love others. And it, it's not saying fill yourself with pride and think, I'm a man. No, it's not that. But it's stop self-loathing yourself. You're not that bad. As followers of Christ, you're not that bad. You have a great hope. You have a great future. You have a great joy. God has given everything for you. And as Christians, especially if you've grown up in the church, we can be so guilted to go serve others and love others that we neglect ourselves along the way. Amen? Is that you? 
Has that been you? Stop. Don't let it be you. I'll, I'll even go as far as to say this. Stop serving others until you find your identity in Christ. Stop it. It's only from a healthy relationship that you have in Christ. Time spent alone in his word and finding your identity in Christ that you can serve and love other people. Sure, on the surface, you can meet needs. Do great social things. Uh, Great. Awesome. We can feed hungry kids all over the place. That's beautiful and that's wonderful. But I want to ask, why are we doing it? Is it coming from a place where you are content with who you are and who God has designed you to be? It's impossible to fully, eternally love others unless you love yourself. Unless you found your identity in Christ. You're just not that bad. You aren't what others have said about you. Some of you may really need to listen to this at this moment. Because when we think back into our past, we have been deeply hurt. Deeply hurt by words, by actions from people we've held in high regard that have had authority over us. You're just not that bad. You aren't what others have said about you. When that coach, when that teacher, when that mom, when that dad, when that friend, when that pastor said how bad you were and how you didn't measure up, this is what they were really saying. They were speaking from a personal hurt had nothing to do with you. That's big. Some of you, as you think back, you, 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 people have spoken death over you. They've damned you with their words. They haven't spoken life. And those words have haunted you for years and years and years. Church, listen up. You're not that bad. God has so much more for you. It's in finding our identity in who we are. It's in, to lighten this moment up, it's in bringing sexy back. I'm bringing sexy back. It's in standing up a little bit and realizing who Christ is in you and saying, you know what? I am worthy. I can walk forward. I have defeated death because Christ is in me. Uh Uh-huh, all day long. Stop caring what they think about you. That's a heavy load. If we walk around wondering what people are thinking about us all day, we become self, self-loathing people pleasers. Stop it. Last week it said we're an heir of Christ. That's freedom. God says, I've come so you may have life and have it abundantly. Start running forward and start loving yourself so we can love others, church. You are set free. What has Christ done for you? Who does he say you are? You are an heir. You are a friend. You are children. That sounds like freedom to me. The only way that we can love others as ourselves is if we love ourselves. We find our identity in Christ. 
We daily look up and we daily say, God, make me more like you so I can reflect your goodness and your glory to the world at large. From that position, we can love the world. Here we go. Here we go. We're almost done. Some of us, we need, we need some life spoken over us. We need some truth spoken over us in this place because we're going to be thinking about this message for a while. Here's some truth. Biblical, eternal truth. Not Aaron Haven's suggestion and like, hey, you got this. Now, I'm not a motivational speaker at this point. This is what I do. I speak truth over you. God's words. Psalms 17, 18. Word for word. Not mine. I didn't make it up. I am just relaying the message from God to you. I am just speaking life over you. And I'm declaring that those things in the past are gone. They're dead. That's not your identity. We stay forward looking on Christ. We're new creations. Psalm 17, 18 says this. I am the apple of his eye. Psalm 17, 18. I am the apple of his eye. Isaiah 54, 14. Says, I am far from oppression, and fear does not come near me. Are you accepting these words? I hope. I am far from oppression and fear does not come near me. Some of us were walking in fear. Timid. We walk through life. Self-loathing. We're scared. We're scared about the future. We're scared of what's happening in our life. Fear does not come from me. Come near me. Isaiah 54, 14. Here's more. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Romans 8, 37. I am more than a conqueror through those who love me. And this is saying, stay focused on Christ. God loves you. You will conquer whatever comes your way because Christ has already conquered it. It's our identity in Christ. 1 Peter 2, 9. I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Hold your head high, heirs of Christ. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. God died on the cross. We're about to celebrate Easter here in a few weeks. And what that means is God died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. I have given my only son to die for you. Your blood, my blood covers over all the sins of your past. All the sins you're hiding right now. All the sins that you're going to do in the future, I have covered all, all over that, you little transgressors. As we run around the zoo, doing whatever our parents said not to do. As we read the Bible, as the Holy Spirit speaks into us, and we willingly step out of lines. And Christ says, oh yeah, I covered that one too. The message of James, does our works, our actions line up with our faith and what, and what we believe? And James is writing us and he's encouraging us, saying, stop 
So stop discriminating amongst yourselves. Stop judging each other. Love others. And oh yeah, by the way, as you love yourself, you've got to find your identity in Christ. If not, church, there's our work right there. Let's sit. Let's focus on who we are in Christ. So, so far, there's a lot of college people here. Here's the Cliff Note versions, version of James. Aaron Haven's Cliff Note versions of James to this point. Okay? You're welcome. Here it is. Remember who you are in Christ. This is what James has said up to this point. Remember who you are in Christ. To what degree God forgave you. Remember to what degree God loves you. Church. Love others the exact same way. Give everything to love others within the church and outside. And then this is good. This, I should charge you for this part of the cliff notes because it's good. You are not entitled. You are titled. I like that. You are not entitled. You are titled. Entitled is a sense of feeling that can, you can trump others. Like, I deserve this. Like, you are not entitled, Christian, but you are titled. And it's a reality that comes with much responsibility and freedom as we carry around the title, co-heirs with Christ, saved, redeemed, a child of God, a friend of God. It's because of that title we have, we can walk through life. Not because we deserve it. We're not entitled to that. We're titled to it. Continue on with the Cliff Note version. Hey, Christian, put your money where your mouth is. I like that one. Hey, Christian, do what you teach. Do what you read. Hey, Christian, let your works match your faith. Hey, Christian, don't forget. And this is what I'm going to end on today. Christian, don't forget. Colossians 1.11, I am strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. I am strengthened with all might according to his, God's, glorious power in my life. Not my power, but God's power and how he moves through my life. And Ephesians 1.7, I am forgiven of all my sins and washed in the blood. Ephesians 1.7. For some of us, we may be having right now an identity crisis. Because the world has told us, taught us, and continues to that we don't measure up. And we better get our act together or God will never love us. And that's an identity crisis because the gospel we read says, I love you because I've titled you my son, my daughter. In the game. This is the best news. I'm going to ask us right now, if you would, just close your Bible. And in this moment, I pray that the Spirit is going to speak to each and every one of us. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to San Antonio. One of the things that we do at Church Project is 
is we partner with effective ministries. Ministries that are doing it. Like they're, they're telling, they're showing others the love of Christ in ways that, that we're not as church project. And so we see that and through our tithe and through our relationships, we join with these effective ministries. And we want to support them as they continue to, to just show the love of Christ in places and ways that we don't. And, and together, we get to do that. We have a, a lot of ministry partnerships here. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to San Antonio and, and spent the week with, with Ryan and Trina and their ministry partnership called Youth for Christ. And while I was there for the week, 600, 700 leaders of this incredible organization from around America, worshiping God together, learning about God, talking about God, how God has given them a specific call. The president was there, he spoke, like many people spoke. And it was an incredible place and an incredible time to be here. One of the highlights for me, and, and, I, and I took a little video of it, I want to I show it to you, was this worship moment. And it's just, a, it's just a, maybe 14 seconds long, but I, I snapped a video, and I'm going to sh- just share it with you. And this is, this is the middle of worshiping with, with, the, with these six, 700 people. And so if you'll watch this. There's actually sound to it. You got sound back there, guys? No sound, Seth? Okay. That? Hey, re- replay that again, and look on, look on the screens, if you would. I don't know if you'll see it. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in this place, six, seven hundred leaders of, of youth for Christ worshiping, and it's, by the way, it's a cappella at this point, and it's just voices that are just singing nothing but the blood of Jesus. As they go out and do, they do every day. Like, they go serve every day. But they don't, oh. beautiful as that is we declare it's not from our might but from the might of God that our actions everything moves that we're able to serve and love other people because we found our identity in Christ we know that's where our strength comes from from the blood of Christ not by our our noble actions or our good deeds or our long hours at work but simply because God loves us and we get the ability and the honor to love others Christian we get the honor to love others We get to look around in this place, love others, not judge others in this place. And may it actually hit the streets tomorrow morning in Greeley, Colorado. I'm going to ask us to reflect on this and then just worship God in this place together. So if you're comfortable with it, close your eyes and just hold your hands out in front of you in a submissive stance. Say, God, my false identity, I put it in my hand and I give it to you because I believe the lies of people and the lies of Satan that I don't amount up. And I've I've neglected even looking at how much you love me. I've tried to serve and love others, but God, all along I've missed it like you want to love me first. May today I hit pause 
realize that it's only because of your blood and what you've done on my behalf that I can find an identity, a truth, a purpose, and I can serve and love others the same way that you've served and loved me. God, today would you show me who I am in you? May some of these promises in Scripture ring true to me, God. That I'm the apple of your eye. I have a hard time believing that. Would you show me that in this moment? Oh, how could you love me, God? Because I've done this. I'm, I'm contemplating doing this. Like, my life is a mess. I would say, church, I ask this at the very beginning to let's be relevant. Let's be honest with God. Let's not hold back anything. So in this moment, as you spend it with God, give him all you got. All your doubt, all your fear. Be honest with him. God, I'm having a hard time believing you in this place, in this space. Show me. Show me how powerful you are. Show me that I'm the apple of your eye and that fear is far from me and that I'm more than a conqueror, that I'm a chosen generation and that I'm strengthened with glorious power and that my sins have been washed away by your blood. God, show me. And others in this place... We're not saying show me. We're saying thank you. Thank you for speaking this life over me. And I accept that I'm an apple of your eye. I accept that fear is far from me, that I'm more than a conqueror, that I'm a royal priesthood. I accept that. God, thank you for that. Thank you that I'm I'm strengthened by you. And thank you that your blood has washed over me. Church, I ask in this place that if you have never surrendered control of your life to God, that the Holy Spirit would be impressing you in this moment, and that maybe for the first time you would realize that that you need God. Your actions are leading nowhere. You're done trying on your own. And in this place, would you say, God, here's my life. Please take my thoughts, my actions, my past, my future. And may you begin to show me who you are and who I am in you. I'm done trying on my own, and I call out for you, God. My actions put you on the cross. And I accept that. I ask for your forgiveness, God. I give you control of my life. Some of us, as we sit here, we have an identity problem. God can speak into that and heal you. Not my words, but his words. So if that's you, I ask that during this next time of worshiping, you just call out to God. You declare who he is sing with our hands lifted high with our voices loud and we declare his greatness because it's in declaring who he is that we find our identity
So church, from that position, I don't know that we're going to worship any louder than we've ever worshiped. I don't know if we're going to be able to contain the joy that's in us because we realize who we are and who Christ is. And it's in that position that I'm excited to worship our King together with you.